Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Bill, can you foresee any scenario in which Mac Jones is 100% healthy and Bailey remains the starter this season? Yeah, I'm not going to get into a lot of hypotheticals on all different things that might or might not happen and all that. That's just to me a waste of time. I, you know, I'm not going to sit around here and dream up you know, scenarios and all that. We'll take things as they come and go from there. That was a telling comment from Bill Belichick earlier this week on the Greg Hill Show, WEEI, Chris's favorite Boston area radio station. Um, <laughs> because, because you're not dreaming up scenarios or hypotheticals. It's a very simple question, Bill. Your starter is injured. Your backup is playing well. When your starter is healthy, is your starter still the starter? This isn't five layers and levels of innuendo and speculation and if this then this then this float chart this is very simple is mac jones still the starter when he's healthy that's the question and the fact that he didn't answer it chris oh boy could you imagine him saying something like that if tom brady had been injured hell even when cam newton was there up until the moment they cut him he's the starter he's the starter he's the starter so uh something weird going on with the New England Patriots, if Bill Belichick isn't willing to say Mac Jones is the guy when he's healthy. Well, I, again, I don't, I'm not going to read too deep into it. Bill's not a guy that wants to get into that a whole lot regardless. He doesn't. I wouldn't be shocked, though, the fact that he didn't squash it, that he likes this a little bit to light a fire under Mac Jones' ass a little bit. I mean, Mac was not playing great football before he got hurt. I think that's, that's the, one of the things that we could certainly talk about. I mean, he's, he was careless, certainly. You know, the Ravens game, they had a chance to win the football game. And it was his interceptions that cost them. So I think when you look at that, you know, he, I believe, had a one bad interception against the Steelers that made the game a little closer than it should have been. Um, so between that aspect right there, and this is New England where we know, I mean, they're into managing the game and playing a certain way and they don't want turnovers. 
to where I'm sure that frustrated Mac Jones or, or Bill Belichick on Mac Jones play. But I like we're not at the point yet where we're going. Wait, maybe they should replace him. I mean, the guy took him to the playoffs as a rookie. All right, we know early in the season here they are we're a work in progress on offense and you know showed signs of getting it going against the Ravens defense. You know, Bailey Zappi was good last week again, but it wasn't great. It wasn't to where I go, whoa, we got a competition here. I mean, when you watch that game back, more you know he did good. He managed the game when people are open. He hit it, but he's not a super talent. And then Mike also the aspect of this game is. I mean, Dan Campbell was pitiful this game. Dan Campbell and Jared Goff basically were like, here, New England, get back on the winning track here a little bit. We feel bad for you. I mean, Dan Campbell, the first drive of the game at midfield against a third-string quarterback, goes for it on a fourth and one. Like, literally, like, he might as well walked over and been like, hey, Bill, I want to get your third stringer in a rhythm. Oh, but the, anal- the analytics say to go for it. The yeah. analytics say to go for it, Chris. I know. The chart right. says to go for it. So it was the, the Ivy The Ivory Leaguer in Dan Campbell's ear said to go for it. It right. doesn't matter that it's a third string quarterback. Right. doesn't right. matter. You want to keep him out of a rhythm. It said the chart says to go for it. So I know. It drives me crazy. Instead of going, wait, let's pin this guy back and make him work under a little pressure here and go down the whole field. So, again, it was good. I'm not trying to take away. You know what I'm trying to say here. I don't yeah, think we're at the point yet of, like, let's bench Mac Jones for Bailey Zappi. Can we put up that graphic we had of the statistics for Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi just for a moment? Because I have a very important observation. They're the same guy. <laughs> they look like the same guy. I, it's amazing to me. And when they're in uniform, it looks like the same human wouldn't it be wild if there is some story where they're like secretly related and they don't know about it and they're going to find out someday it is bizarre to me how much they look alike okay <laughs> there is um, something there and and look look there, there's also something there i want to be careful how i frame this because i don't really have this nailed down yet but i have reason to believe there's something between mac jones and the coaching staff and this is very unpatriotic yeah this is not stepford patriot maybe that's why those two look alike they came off the same stepford patriot assembly line but i think mac may be a little disconcerted with the quality of the coaching this year you go from josh mcdaniels last year to this amalgamation of joe judge and matt patricia two guys who weren't offensive coaches right. before they became head coaches, before they failed as head coaches, and now Matt Patricia calling the plays. <clears throat> I, 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 I have reason to believe there's some quiet friction there that could boil over at some point. And maybe that's why Bill said what he said. Maybe he's keenly aware that Mac Jones – isn't in love with the situation as it relates to how he's being coached this year versus how he was being coached last year. I, I can't imagine it's the same. And I'm, I'm imagining it is different. You know, I'm, I'm imagine he's had moments of going like, you know, when, when Matt Patricia and Joe judge are kind of getting it figured out and figuring out how they to be an offensive coach, or he was probably like, well, damn, this isn't like last year. This ain't Josh McDaniels who gave me, you know, the most detailed coaching I've ever seen in my life and then gave me, like, seven little awesome inklings on the play, too, to look out for with the defense. So I'm sure there's, like, been some side-eye, like, wait, do these guys really know what they're doing? I don't, I don't doubt that. I don't. 
you know, but I can't imagine it being anything where it's distraction. It doesn't seem like it's in the, you know, Mac Jones playbook to be that type of guy there. So we'll see where this goes. We're still watching this. The big thing that Bailey Zappi has had the last two weeks is a dominant defense, and they've run the ball like at an unstoppable rate. I mean, the Patriots running game right now is going where it's like, you know, they're going to run up the middle and pull the guard and smash your face and they still do it and get eight yards doing it. And that's been the best thing for Bailey Zappi here. So if they can do that and then couple that with Mac Jones getting back and him playing the way he's capable, I don't count the Patriots out yet. I don't. The Patriots, I still think got something to say here in the AFC race. Hey, we know how it goes for Bill Belichick post 2011 CBA the first month of the regular season is basically the preseason. Right. It takes them a right. while to get up and running because he doesn't have access the way that he used to have access to teach his guys everything he needed to teach them. By the time we get into October, they're starting to figure it out. And a shutout, I, and I don't care about Dan Campbell making dumb decisions. He's made dumb decisions in other games too. Yeah. And they were the highest scoring team in the NFL. Yeah. To take the highest scoring team through four weeks right. and put goose egg on the scoreboard That's for right. 60 minutes is impressive for the Patriots. And you don't need high-end quarterback play if you can play kind of the Steelers situation. This is what the Steelers were supposed to be. Great defense, great running game, and just enough right. for your passing game and, and your competitive. And, and the, the Patriots, I feel far better about them than I do about the Steelers. Also, they're two and three, but – you know, after one and three start, you're thinking, where are we here? Well, yeah. we're, we're, we're still fine in New England. Yeah. In, in Dallas, they're perfectly fine without starting quarterback Dak Prescott. They have won four in a row during this period of time that Prescott has been recovering from the surgery to repair the broken bone above his thumb joint. He will begin throwing today. Jerry Jones said on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas on Tuesday that Dak – has got to spin the ball. He's really got to spin the ball. And this gets back to other things Jones has said. He's got to be able to grip the ball and rip the ball without pain in that thumb. And they have the luxury, Chris, of time because Cooper Rush, thanks to that defense, is holding it together. It's not that Cooper Rush has become Troy Aikman or Roger Staubach or even Danny White. He's just holding it together while the defense takes over and Dak heals, and this is the best scenario because if they can keep winning games, they can wait, and they can wait, and they don't get in a situation where they put him back out on the field before he's absolutely ready. I'd love to see him Sunday night yeah, right. when the Cowboys take on the Eagles, but you know what? I'm still pretty intrigued by the Cowboys with Cooper Rush yep. because of that defense and because of what they've done creatively with the offense right? because they can't rely, as you say time and again, accurately, they're not relying on Dak to just go out and get it done. Yeah, they're playing team football instead of like, wait, we're paying this guy $45 million a year, so we got to throw it 40 times and throw for 350 to justify that contract, even though that might not be the best way for our football team. That, that's got to end. It does. You know, Cooper Rush has done really well. You know, we've talked about it, you know, plenty. What's the rush with Dak Prescott? And, yeah, don't throw him out there at less than and if he's not spinning the ball and can't grip it the right way. And this game in Philadelphia, you know, there's nothing wrong. Ride the hot hand of Cooper Rush. Just give Dak another week. There's nothing to, to, like, go all in on right now. I know that I'm sure Dak wants to get out there because it's, it's the marquee game of the weekend. Everybody's looking at this game. So I'm sure it's killing him, the fact that he can't play in this one. And I'm sure to a degree, this is the one where 
you know, Jerry's probably a little antsy too because, again, it's a four-game win streak. The teams they have beaten all have major flaws. Now, I know the Giants are 4-1, and one, but I think we all sit here and go, the Giants are not incredibly talented. They're just playing the right way and playing mistake-free football and all of that, and they're, they're going to be a pain in the butt. But, you know, this is the first time the Cowboys are going to play a complete football team. This is the first time that they're going to play a team where their defensive line is not going to be able to just overrun a bad offensive line like it has the last four weeks. They overran the Commanders, the Rams, the Giants, and the Bengals D-line, or offensive lines, excuse me. So that helped them keep in the game and cause turnovers and everything that way. So that's where it's going to be interesting this week. Is this week going to be, whoa, Cooper, Rush, and the Cowboys are, you know, they're really real with the way they're playing this? Or is it going to be like, Uh, this is the week where it gets exposed. This is where they need Dak Prescott because they're not just going to be able to dominate with defense and get a strip sack fumble and run the ball on a 50-yard touchdown run and just throw it every now and then and kind of look good. Uh, That's what I'll be interested to see, Mike, how that plays out. Win or lose this week, if Dak Prescott doesn't play, I think they can do without him. Yeah, maybe. Lions week seven, Bears week eight, Mm. then it's a bye and then they get Dak back week 10 for the road trips to Green Bay and Minnesota. They have a a full tour of the NFC North coming up, interrupted by a bye. Two at home against the two bad teams from the division, two on the road against the good teams. And I'll still put the Vikings in there, even though I I think four and one does not reflect where that team (laughs) currently is. But, But they could have Dak back for that trip to Green Bay, trip to Minnesota, and then short week, hello, Giants come to town. That Giants-Cowboys game, that was one when the schedule came out. It's like, eh, now that we're getting close, like, that could be a game. And, Chris, I got, I got something I thought of. Yeah. And this is one of the byproducts of us talking these things through. I think there's a chance Jerry Jones is a super genius with how they've handled the Dak Prescott situation. Because remember when it first happened? What did we hear? Six to eight weeks. Closer to eight weeks that he was going to be out, right? After the bye. Right. That's the realistic right. return yep. after the bye. Then we start hearing, well, maybe it's closer to six. Well, maybe it's closer to four. Well, maybe it is four. We're not going to put him on injured reserve. We never know when he's going to be back. I wonder whether this was an effort by Jerry Jones to get the players to not give up. Mm. Because if you know you're not going to have the guy for two months, you're thinking, well, we're oh, screwed crap. now. Right. Right. But if you're thinking three or four games. Or if you're just thinking, hey, maybe back next week. Hey, we hold it together. We'll hold it Let's one hold more. Let's hold it together yeah. until he comes right. back. Right. Let's hold it together until he comes back. End result, he's still not coming back to after the bye. Right. Quite possibly. But they win games because there's been this constant, Dak's going to be back soon. Let's not give up. Let's not give up. I mean, that is a strategy for avoiding the whole woe is us, it's not our year, the air got sucked out of the balloon the first night of the season, oh, well, th- there may be some high-level ch- three-dimensional Maybe. chess going on here. He could, he and could be worked. that smart, yeah. And it worked. Yeah. I don't I don't doubt that Jerry – I mean, Jerry's got some genius in him. There, there's no doubt about that. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, he, he pulls off crap that I'd go, man, most men in the world can't pull that off. He's the man. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to say you're totally crazy there. 
Maybe there was. I that could aspect. hear him. Yeah. I could hear him. Right on his bus. We know how slick laying he is. this out. Yeah, right. I could hear him say, "We need." <laughs> I wish I could do a good Jerry Jones, but we we need we can't afford to have them fellers in the locker room thinking <laughs> that. And I know it's not even close, but what the hell? We can't afford to have them fellers in the locker room thinking Dak's not going to be back. You see until after the bye, because then they may give up on us. They may think we got no chance this year. You see, it's getting worse, not better, as I try to settle <laughs> into is. the group. But but that's – that's I. you know what? I'm going to assume, because I love the idea that he did it, I'm going to assume that he did it, that it was purposeful, that it was strategic, and that it worked. Because it is genius, Chris, if it did. It, it, it is genius. It is. He, hey, listen, he understands people. He knows how to talk to people. We know that. You know, he, he smoothed your ass right over, bringing you on the bus and giving you a drink. That's I for sure. I haven't been on the bus. Yeah. No, I wasn't oh, on the bus. You weren't on the I bus. You just table. Had, at the table. I was at the table. He smoothed your ass 26. over in no time. So he knows how to work the room and work his mouthpiece. That's for hey. sure. So I don't doubt it. Let me, <laughs> let me, tell, let me tell you something. Those, those guys, uh, know how to hold their liquor i had to physically remove myself and because i that was the one day and i'm telling you in hindsight it was a saving grace that i overslept the day that we were at the combine back when there was the first hour on radio from six to seven and you'd come in and slap your big meat hook on me while i was on the air live i'm the doing day, a show i'm that, doing the show i'm on the radio that, right that now that got me <laughs> that got me to be 100 percent sure that i extricated myself from the experience that night because I wouldn't have shown up at all. And if you remember that next day, we had four hours live. Yeah. Because that was like the first day that they were doing the show live and then simulcast. Right, we did right. four hours live from the combine. So I had to get my ass out of there or I was going to be passed out on the bus like Mark Leibovich found himself as he was doing his research for his book, Big Game, which is still very relevant even four years after the fact, but yeah, it would have been bad. It would have been bad. But uh, anyway, it's it, 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 look, the guy has meant as much, if not more than anyone else to the game over the last 33 years. He's revolutionized the way teams think about themselves. He's pulled the mindset out of the mom and pop and turned it into, Hey, we can make a lot of money here yeah, in a lot of different no ways. And uh, he's, he's, he's good for the sport because he makes it interesting and entertaining. And maybe he's held his team together this year at a time when they would have fallen apart, by the way, Speaking of teams that are falling apart, Carolina Panthers. Baker Mayfield is out two to six weeks with that high ankle sprain. Oof. Not going on injured reserve. He wants to try to play as early as possible. Yeah, because he's got to go out and play well to lay the foundation for something positive for next year, Chris. I'm sure we'll have plenty more chances to talk about the Panthers and Baker Mayfield. Not that we want to. They're telling me to go to break. After further review, when we take a closer look at all of the controversial calls, good, bad, or otherwise, from the week that was, We'll do that when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. 
What are your thoughts on how that game ended up with you being called for unnecessary roughness and a 15-yard penalty in the biggest spot of a game? You know, right now, I feel uh, better in, um, as far as being able to talk and communicate my emotions. Uh, <laughs> after during, during the game, after the game, I definitely wasn't in a good space to, um, you know, um, clearly and just like really get my thoughts across, thoughts across and, and just, you know, just feelings and just how I was feeling because one was just in, like not a little, but a lot of disbelief. But I mean, right now, man, just looking back on it, I mean, you know, I still, um, you know, I'm still kind of left clueless, you know, what I'm expected to do in that situation. Grady Jarrett, Falcons defensive lineman, talking about the most controversial call of the weekend, very similar to what we saw Monday night, but on Monday night, the team that suffered the wrong end of that call still won the game. The Falcons could have still beaten the Buccaneers. That was a drive killer, and the drive extended because of a call that was a phantom call. Well, let me just piggyback off that just a little too. And on Monday night, we saw Patrick Mahomes get sacked the same way Tom Brady did. That's coming up as we begin after football. Okay. Before we get to that, there's some news. The owners meet next week in New York. The Associated Press reported yesterday that roughing the passer will be discussed there. It's not like they're going to change anything. They never change rules during the season because they believe that each season is a self-contained unit. And if you start changing the rules on the fly, it undermines the integrity of the game. And in theory, I agree with that. The reality is they've done things like that. They've changed the emphasis on the fly before. Um, They're not expected to adopt replay review in the offseason for – roughing the passer, despite a very strong push for it. And, you know, the reason is, Chris, the horrible experiment with replay review of pass interference in 2019, where the idea was right, but the execution was horrible. It was horrible execution of uh, an officiating department led at the time by Al Riveron, where the standard of what they were going to do to overturn, it changed three or four times throughout the course of the year. There was never a sense that that they really understood how they were going to use replay review, what the bar was to make these changes. Al Riveron would do a frame-by-frame Zabruder film review, and it was just a mess. It was a mess. And because of that, now they're, they're gun-shy about having replay review of another subjective area like this because where do you draw the line on roughing or non-roughing? So even though that should be the outcome, it's not going to be the outcome, apparently. No, I, I can see that. But what they do need to do at the owner meetings here is reevaluate and start getting the word out to the referees here. We got common sense. I'm going to lean on what Patrick Mahomes said a little yesterday. Got to have a little common sense here. It's football. It's unrealistic. I'm drooling and I'm mad. I get mad at this subject right now because I don't like it. I really think it's, it's a horrible watch, and we're having games dictated by the guy that I don't care about. Just stay the hell out of the way. But they got to do something and relay the message too here. The referees, right? A little more common sense, you know, and then explain the standard again here. Tackling the quarterback is allowed. It's, it's tackle football. We're allowed to tackle him. We got to do something here. It, it's ridiculous. And, you know, again, what, what bothers me more too, and just watching that game back a little bit yesterday too, Mike, I mean, one, Brady kicked Grady Jarrett. Two, Brady kicked Brady Jarrett earlier in the game, too, when he got tackled by him. 
And it just, it just, he's allowed to do whatever he wants. Kick the guy in the balls twice a game. No problem. You're Tom. But if they tackle you too hard, we're going to call the penalty. This is not even the worst one. What? I think it was what? Maybe third quarter, first quarter. I can't remember. They were going the other direction. Either way, you've seen the tape. But yeah, this is just unacceptable. It's truly unacceptable. And you're chopping a leg out again of. Like one of the greatest weapons a defense has is, has against a quarterback or a good offense is to harass him and tackle him, and that's where I just can't get behind it right now with how the NFL is doing this. Tom Brady has been fined in the past for he should be fined for this. Crotch of a guy, Ed Reed ultimately needed surgery, and he blamed it on getting kicked in the crotch by Tom Brady when he slid at the end of a run in a playoff game a decade ago, but. I just I, I I I don't get it. And I understand I'm an emotional guy. That's the same shit we hear all the time. Oops, there it is. Eight seventeen. I'm emotional. Well, there's a point where you have to turn it off. If we expect Devontae Adams to turn it off and not push a guy onto his ass when he's walking in the tunnel, we expect Tom Brady to turn it off and not kick a guy in the balls because he's upset that he got that he got tackled. I got tackled. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Um. So anyway, uh, here's the key language from the rule book. When in doubt about a roughness call or potentially dangerous tactic against the quarterback, the referee should always call roughing the passer. That's where this all traces to. When in doubt, when in doubt, throw the flag. That's the message. And I don't like that. There should be no doubt. When in doubt, don't. How about when only call roughing when you see roughing? That's doubt. Change it there. Maybe he landed on it with his full body weight, but I don't know. I have doubt. Well, what the hell? When in doubt. Whip it out, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. Well, when in doubt, don't whip it out, okay? I think there's, you know, some ex-quarterbacks that would tell you that one, too. So don't whip it out, all right? It's not a good thing, all right? All right? <laughs> oh, <no>. I didn't <laughs> mean to inadvertently quote Ted Nugent there. That, oh, I thought lyrics, you were talking about Brett Favre. All right. So those lyrics uh, rock, uh, <laughs> still in my brain When in 70s. doubt, referees, don't Free whip all, it out. I think is the song, yep. Free For All by Ted Nugent. Yeah, keep uh, it in your pants, referees. And I mean um, the freaking <laughs> flag, all right? That's all right, right. All right keep it Let's move on. Yeah. After further review, the play that uh, Chris was talking about earlier, this is the sack on Patrick Mahomes by Denzel Perryman that if it looks familiar, it should. Watch this. The twist and the whip and the throw to the ground. Oh, he threw him. He threw him harder than he threw Brady. Oh. Unnecessarily threw him to the ground. Oh. But see, even even though it kind of would have been a makeup call, I think Carl Sheffers wasn't calling roughing again the rest of the night on either team after what happened in the first half, the reaction to Chris Jones play. But that that look at that. Thank you. Great job on the split yeah. screen. That looks like the same thing. And this is the problem. When you have 17 different referees and you have 17 different standards and 17 different ways of viewing things, you're going to have different outcomes potentially because guys are going to interpret that phrase when in doubt always throw the flag differently and what's the level of doubt what's the standard in that moment that's going to formulate the i'm going to throw the flag um so not a surprise to me that that happened because of the way that they generally officiate these plays yeah no i know again the biggest thing to me is they got they got to they got to stop this for more than anything it's wrong for the sport but the fixing in crowd the fixes in crowd is loving this right now the fixes in crowd loves it and that's not good for the gambling era here either in 2022 either. That's the other issue. 
Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that shouldn't have been called on Patrick Mahomes. It should never be called against Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes will get in that position before the year's over and break out of somebody's tackle and go make a play. All right? So that's where I don't understand what the defensive guy is supposed to do. Wait, I got my hands around your waist now. It's not even like I'm hitting you and I'm supposed to let go? What, 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 what are we talking about? What are we talking about, NFL? I'm, and I'm, I'm telling you, if they don't correct it, I'm going to continue to go hard on this. Well, I really well, am. And, and are we basically suggesting Pro Bowl rules? Because we saw a couple of those on Monday night where it's just grab the quarterback and the quarterback relents and stops. Right, we did. But is the quarterback always going to do that? I mean, my God, one of the great plays in NFL history never would have happened if Eli Manning had done that in Super Bowl Forty Two. Because he was in the grass. Remember, right. that was a big deal back when yeah. your dad was playing. Right. Quarterback in the grass. That was one of the one of the steps in this evolution of protecting quarterbacks. Well, when he's in the grass, we're going to blow the whistle and end the play before he gets thrown to the ground on that green cement they used to play on. So it's, it's just unfortunate. It's the way it is. And, Chris, I don't think they really want to fix it because – and it's not, it's not, for example, Clark Hunt, the owner of the Chiefs, saying – I want my franchise quarterback on the field. It's all the owners want Patrick Mahomes on the field. Sure. All the owners want Aaron Rodgers on the field. None of the owners want to have a primetime game where it's backup versus backup. And no one's going to watch. Right. And no one's going to care. They want the best players available to play because that's how you get 20, 25, 30 million people to tune in. I know. But we haven't had that issue for a long time, really. I mean, really. It's, it's, the star quarterbacks are healthy every year. Like, we're going way too far now. That's, that's my point. I think you're totally right. I'm all for that, too. But we're going into two-hand touch here. That, that's what I'm talking about. And that's where it's just it's not acceptable. So that, that's where I don't love it. it. It's gone way beyond protection of the quarterback now. It's gone to it's affecting the football game, and we have a guy that's just making a – you know, hearsay judgment call in the biggest moments of the game because he doesn't like it, and that's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. It's a total disservice to the Atlanta Falcons organization. It really is. They screwed them over, and the NFL can't pay them back now because of that shitty call by the ref. I'm, I'm not sure what the concept of hearsay did to get dragged into the conversation, but but that's I'll give you that. Thank one. you. All right. Uh, All right. I know. Um, I was struggling for my phrase I wanted there. <laughs> the the, the uh, the, the other report that emerged yesterday is that the sensitivity to roughing the passer isn't a reaction to the Tua Tonga-Vailoa situation, and, and I, I don't disagree with that. I think that reaction comes later if and when the overreaction to Tua where guys are being removed from play when under the old standard they would have been allowed to play. If that becomes an epidemic in the NFL – then I think we do see greater sensitivity to roughing to prevent guys from being put in a position where they feel compelled to keep them out of the game. So that could be coming. But for now, I just think this is what we've seen over the past several years where they are very sensitive about any quarterback injury that would knock the guy off the field and out of play and out of action. And the better the quarterback, it feels like the greater the protection, although Patrick Holmes didn't get the Tom Brady protection on Monday night. Let's look at one where, and this is, the next step. This is where the box full of Pandora can come into play, Chris. Jacoby Brissett gets called or gets a call for roughing the pass. So Sebastian Joseph Day of the Chargers hits him and he does the soccer flop. And look, 
do we have to get to the point where we penalize quarterbacks for doing flops? Is that the next step in all this? Well, this is guys a, try to draw these fouls by falling down when they're barely touched. I, this is again like what, what 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 are they seeing? He didn't see anything here. There was nothing he saw. See again, this is where it's it's it's, it's when gone. in doubt. When in doubt, when in doubt, when in doubt I, I just doubt. saw him fall out of the corner of my eye, and it had to be illegal. You can't touch the quarterback. That's but all right. When in doubt, they're ruining the sport. They're gonna ruin it. They're in danger of us going down. They're we're going down. We're gonna be. We're you know what we're gonna get this year? Rams Saints. They're gonna call one of these stupid penalties in the biggest moment of the AFC or NFC Championship game. And I'm going to tell everybody not to watch the Super Bowl because the team that shouldn't no, have been in not. there is not. I am. You're not, you're I, and not, not on NBC this you're, year. I'm going to tell okay. everybody not to watch. I am. You're, first of all, you're not, and it's not going to matter. They're still going to watch. Now, I don't they know, did but we're going to get a complaint. They I'm going to get have going. <laughs> a dramatic ratings drop in New Orleans that year for the, of course. For the Patriots-Rams Super Bowl. Right. Dramatic local ratings right. drop. I don't know that it affected the overall number, but you take a major city and you have a ridiculous drop in viewership. Yeah, that's an effect. The bigger concern, though, Chris, because I don't think they care about fans huffing and puffing because they're not going to blow the NFL's house down. We're still going to watch the games. We're just going to be pissed off more often when we do, but we're still going to watch. They don't care if we're happy while we're watching it. They just want us to watch it. The bigger concern, and you touched on it, it's gambling. It's legalized gambling because this kind of stuff opens the door for a Tim Donahue potentially to infiltrate the NFL at some point. Right. And it also opens the door for the tinfoil hat crowd yes. to say the fix is in. Exactly. That's and what I'm I was saying. I'm hearing it right. more and more, more and, and more. louder and louder. The fix is in. The they fix want is Tom in. Brady the to win. The they want Josh rigged. Allen to win. They want them in the Super Bowl. The fix is in. It's all you see when it goes on in social media. And you know me. I don't even look at social media like that. I'm a quick scroller to get a feel for comments and things like that. And that's where, yes, that's where they're, they're embellishing it. And to me, Mike, here's the other part of it to your basketball thing. It's becoming a makeup call, too. Like, oh, we missed up a call. So the next time, somebody will touch the quarterback and I can just call roughing the passer. Or let's go to this next clip against Dante Fowler, all right, with the Rams and the Cowboys game, okay? Because this is, a, oh, they're a little out of the game, so let's help them out a little bit. All right, that, that's what's going on here a little bit. Are you kidding me with this one right here? I mean, this is, I don't even know, what what are we calling? What are we calling again? What, he didn't, it wasn't even a half a step. He barely, the ball's barely out of his hand. He didn't take another step. He didn't do anything wrong. But the Rams are down 22 to 10 late in the fourth. And this is something I'm starting to see a little in all games. Uh it's close. They're down. Let's throw it. We'll make the game interesting. The fix is in. I'm telling you, I'm not going to let this crap and, and slide. Look, 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 look. It's not that the fix is in for the Rams. It's the fix is in for the team that's behind. Exactly. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's something the commissioner said 10 years ago as they were getting ready to play the Super Bowl in New York. He was asked who he roots for. He roots for who's trailing. They love it. They were basking. There was an interview with the commissioner in London on NFL Network over the weekend. They were basking in the fact that all these games are exciting and they're close. They want these games to be close in the fourth quarter. They thump their chest as if the league has any control over it. They're doing victory laps over 15 out of 16 games. Last weekend, we're within one score in the fourth quarter. That's how you take that viewership and stretch it as deep into the three hours as possible. So, I and again, I don't know that anyone's telling these guys to do it. And Chris, I'll go back to when in doubt. Because when you watch that, you see the helmet of the Cowboys player dip down 
and potentially make contact with Matthew Stafford. When in doubt, looks like he hit him with his helmet. When in doubt, the rule book says when in doubt. That's what they need to – I just – I don't like – and I remember when they did this 12 years ago with the illegal hits to the head and neck area of defenseless receivers. They explained it at first as they want the officials to err on the side of caution. And then they realized that doesn't sound good. It sounds like we're accepting errors. We don't want errors. We don't want anyone to make errors. Well, when in doubt is basically a different way of saying the same thing. I, yeah, it is. I, the language has got to get changed. The one in doubt thing, I think you're right, is the number one issue here. That has to be taken out. What, what, what is that aspect of that in football with anything? When in doubt. That's what we're going by now? Please stop. Please stop. I'm, now, I'm telling you, I'm not going to let this die down, this subject, too. And I'm telling you, if it happens in the AFC or NFC championship uh, game, I'm, I'm going to start it. I really am. I'm, I'm mad I, I about know, this. I know, I know one area where when in doubt doesn't apply, and that's holding by offensive linemen. Uh, because I see it out of the corner of my eye, one out of every three plays yeah, at a minimum, right. where a guy's coming around the edge and he's got an arm wrapped around him tight as he's trying to get around the oh, edge or, you're or, right about that. or a, a forearm in his neck right. pulling him back and you don't see the flag. But it goes so, into protecting the quarterback again yep. and it goes into, hey, we're going to be able to throw the ball and do that. And it evens to balance Micah with a, a deeper conversation that goes on in football right now that you know I, I've been kind of wanting to talk about. There's so many more good D linemen than offensive linemen in the NFL right now. It's a problem. It's why there's the games are low scoring. It's just the defensive linemen are overrunning offensive linemen in every game other than a handful of really good football teams that have a really good offensive line. So, uh, But it all, I think, plays to the same issue a little bit, Mike, that we're talking about there. We talk a lot, in, especially as it relates to journalism. You know, There needs to be a firewall between news gathering and the business side of things because you don't want the business side of things to influence the decisions being made by the people who are simply trying to get to the truth unaffected by how it affects the bottom line. Similar reality, I think, for the NFL. There needs to be a firewall between the game and the business of the game because the business of the game wants points. The business of the game wants excitement, wants the ball thrown, wants the quarterbacks healthy, wants to have exciting games in the fourth quarter. And I doubt that there's a firewall, Chris, between the business of football and the football of football as these rules are being devised and applied now because there is an overwhelming incentive for the entire sport and the good of the sport as it relates to how much money it's pouring into the coffers of the owners to do the various things that we're complaining about that seem to be antithetical to the sport they are not antithetical to generating as much profit as possible well, from the sport. It's gonna come and that's back where with, I think a lot yeah, of this is coming I from. I think you're right. It's going to come back to bite them in the ass, though, if they continue down this road. And it will. It's going to hit home to where What did Mark all, Cuban say? What, what's that? What, yeah, Mark, you're right. What did Mark Cuban say? Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered, right? And it's, it goes into also, too, I, you know— you know, I, what was it? Al Davis always had the saying, like, you know, once 345 gets too involved in, in the league, it's, it's going to be an issue. And right now, I, I think 345 is too involved in this and this issue. And it's, it's going to hurt the league. It is. It's going to bring problems. And it's already starting the trickle-down effect here, and they got to watch out. Let's take a break. Uh, 345 had no involvement in the accumulation of the PFT power rankings 
for Week 6. And this week's power rankings are fascinating because of some of the matchups that are looming among the best teams in the league this weekend. We'll show that to you when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. Josh handles it, back to throw, pocket collapsing, fires a deep one downfield, looking for Gabe Davis, makes the catch at midfield, he's going to sail into the end zone, touchdown, holy mackerel, 98 yards, Wentz takes the snap, looking, throwing, intercepted, intercepted, David Long, and the Titans <laughs> have shut down the Commanders yes. at yes. the two. yes, that is a hell yeah, back to pass, throws left, it's caught, Amir Smith-Marshak against his former team. Amir stolen from him, and he slides down and wins the game! I still can't believe that moment. Hump Day homers, Paul Allen on the call. Cameron Dantzler stealing the ball, sealing the victory, and causing the Vikings to go up three spots in the power rankings from 14 to 11. But Christopher, look at the top 10, because this weekend... We have, and I'll work from the bottom to the top, six versus eight, Ravens at the Giants. We have four versus one, Cowboys versus the Eagles. And we have two versus three, Chiefs versus Bills. Three games among teams in the top eight this weekend. Yeah, that's it's uh, pretty amazing. It really is. And again, I and I think we're slowly starting to see, you know, the 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 cream of the crop rise to the top here as far as the NFL a little bit. It's still amazing how jumbled together it is, but I don't know. You know, did you have any thoughts at all, the top three, just to hit on that right away? I mean, they're clearly the top three teams in the football in football right now, Eagles, Bills, Chiefs. Was there any thought of like how to juggle those around? Did you think of maybe making one of those one loss teams the number one team? No, well, it would have been the Bills if anybody because of what they did to the Steelers. Yeah. Because right. they beat them 38-3, to and the Eagles had to survive a trap game in Arizona. But you know what? Every team is going to have a trap game from time to time. And the Eagles survived it. I think that's a credit to them. Sure. That's one where in past years, that team that starts off 4-0, and we're really not sure how good they're going to be. Oh, okay, they lose one, especially when they have a big division rivalry looming. I'm impressed, maybe even more impressed by the Eagles that they held it together and got that win because they're showing a level of week in and week out mental toughness and Nick Sirianni the head coach was saying this week he just wants to go one and oh every week and every once in a while you have a team that that can live up to that cliche and just keep going one and oh every week and the Eagles so far I know I don't know what's going to happen this weekend with or without Dak Prescott they're going to have their hands full with the Cowboys but they they have emerged as in my mind the best team and and they should stay there until they lose and even then I don't know how, how far they're going to fall. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, listen, they're definitely one of the best teams. We know that. And even if they do lose this weekend, they're not going to lose many times here the first 10 or 12 weeks of the year. All right, so where I'm interested is like, all right, Cowboys at four. Um, I got no problem with that, but did you think about putting the Bucks in front of them at all, or do you feel really confident about just keeping them at four? I know the Bucks are two-loss team, but did beat the Cowboys in, down in Dallas. There's that conversation, and you know I think we think the Bucks are probably a little bit better than what they have played so far. So, any thoughts there? Well, the Cowboys already were ahead of the Buccaneers, and I think the second loss is what caused the Buccaneers to fall. If all things were equal, I think the Buccaneers would be ahead of the Cowboys. But the Cowboys going to L.A. and win 22-10, to 10, and I know it was home away from home from the Cowboys as we 
correctly surmised last week when we were talking about how Cowboys fans would overrun SoFi Stadium. But still, to dismantle the Rams the way they did, yeah. that's why they're number four. And frankly, that's one of the reasons why the 49ers are up in the top ten well, now. They that, were 11 last week. Yeah. I mean, they, they and they, they are showing signs yeah. of dominance. Right. And, Chris, I've said this before here, and I wrote about it in the power rankings, I think, this week. They're the team that the Eagles need to be worried about in January. They better hope the playoff tree doesn't doesn't fall together in a way where it's 49ers at Eagles because that's where the Eagles train may run into a brick wall. Well, that, that's the NFC Championship game I picked before the year. That, that's where I, I, you know, those two teams. That would be that was my only question. I think Mike on your really in your top ten is I would have had the 49ers probably number five right behind the Cowboys. I would. You know, I know it hasn't been perfect, but I mean. I think to your point and what you're talking about is the 49ers, you know, they're not even a healthy football team and it's been absolute just physical dominance over the Rams and the Carolina Panthers and Jimmy G. I mean, we see as long as he just doesn't do total dumb crap stuff that they're, they're one of the best teams in football. He literally just has to play average or a little above average and they're a Super Bowl contender. It's, it's really as simple as that. Um, so that's where that would be the only one I think in your top 10 or top 12 that I would go. I think you're being, you know, I think the 49ers, I certainly would take, I think you're being a little nice to the Ravens. I would have the Ravens down, you know, below. I would have the 49ers at five and bump everybody down. I guess that's what I'm saying. Long story short. Couple questions here. Terry Gensler, 14, which of these three top 10 matchups that we discussed do we think has the most significance? Which is the biggest of the three games? I think clearly the least significant is Ravens-Giants just because the other two stand out. But which of those two, Eagles hosting the Cowboys, Chiefs hosting the Bills, is a bigger game to you? I think And set aside the fact that one of them's on NBC. I know, yeah. I mean, listen, they're they're all big. Uh, But I I look at the Bills-Chiefs one to be the one. I do. I expect them to... You know, if all things fall right, it's it's I'm Clash of the Titans, AFC Championship game, Titan. I mean, Bills Chiefs. I mean, that's where I expect it. And where this goes into is, I could see them having the same record at the end of the year. And this comes down to who won the head-on-head matchup to be the number one seed and get the first round by. And more importantly, just to play the other one at home, where Buffalo, I'm sure, is like, can we get the hell out of Kansas City? Right. I mean, so so I I would think that's the one that that jumps out to me uh, right now. I don't know. There's a part of me that's not ready to say Cowboys number one seed conversation yet, even though I'm getting close to that uh, with the way they're looking here week after week. Here's my effort to sell the idea that our game is bigger than what a company guy kiss. ass. We know (laughs) we know the Chiefs and Bills are good. Right. We know that. Right. Whatever happens in this game on Sunday, they're both going to be great and they're going to be among the best in the conference. We still don't know what we have in the Eagles and we're still not quite sure what we have in the Cowboys. I got you. So let's see them square off. I hear you. See how it shakes out because there's more unknowns in that game. And, And that's look, I'm not I'm not trying to Johnny MBC over our here. Game. I'm just, <laughs> no, I, hear I you. think it's, I think it's an accurate observation. Yeah. Uh, one more here real quick flick daddy. Why have the Packers been ahead of the Vikings all year when the Packers lost to the Vikings in week one and the Vikings only losses to your number one team. And to anybody who asked that question, I say, have you watched the Vikings play? Have you watched their games? They should be one in four or two and three. They keep pulling rabbits out of their butts late in the game. They're finding ways to win. And that is not sustainable. The only silver lining for the Vikings is something that Harrison Smith said 
earlier this week, Chris, that as they're learning their new coaching staff, learning the offense, learning the defense, they're winning games, which is going to help them later in the year when they've right. learned right. what they're doing. They're, they're stealing wins yes. at a time when they have no business stealing wins. Yeah, and I, I think that's the important thing. You know, a little bit like you talked about like with Philadelphia. Oh, they were asleep at the wheel or kind of a letdown game. They still won. You're going, yeah, the Vikings aren't playing that good. But they're winning the games, period. And, and as you always talk, it's it's something that you know provides some cushion for you later on in the year. I mean, maybe the schedule isn't as favorable. But I do I do think that's part of like you know this conversation too. Is you know we got some teams here in your top ten or even in the top twelve or top half of the league who they've had very favorable schedules. I don't think you can to where you go. I don't know if they're quite as good as the team they're ahead of. But they got more wins and they're playing good. But damn, I mean, like like we talk about with Dallas. Dallas has had very favorable matchups to this point. The Giants have had teams other than the Packers. And again, the Packers make the, every game close because it's dink and dunk and their defense is not as dominant as their statistics say. So that game is always close. That played in their hands. But they've played some teams that they certainly match up well to add to the 4-1 and one schedule. You know, so that or four and one record. So that that's something that I think you know people forget about a little bit here in the early part of the year. We'll take a break. There were a lot of great catches in Week Five. We'll look at the best of the bunch when this Wednesday edition of PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after. Well, first he's not healthy uh, yet. I don't think. Um, so I don't really feel like there's a, a need to comment until he's healthy. But, uh, you know, that's really a question for Brian and his staff. Um, I'm always going to be for adding anybody to our squad who can help us win. Um, whether or not we need uh, an OBJ, who knows. But I like the person, love the player, and uh, just want him to be healthy, honestly. He's been through a lot the last few years, and... That's the most important thing. Aaron Rodgers on Sunday talking about the possibility of adding OBJ. Look, if you wait until he's healthy, you're waiting too long. He's currently cleared for non-contact activities. If you wait until he's 100%, he's already going to have signed with another team. So for today's draft, the teams that we believe should be making the run at signing Odo Beckham Jr. as he gets closer and closer to an expected return, Chris, of the middle of November. Just like last year, he signed with the Rams on November 11 and got up to speed and really helped fuel that Super Bowl run. And you and I both believe would have been the Super Bowl MVP quite possibly if he hadn't suffered that. Oh, ACL. the Rams coaches so, believe it. I, they, they've said oh, it to me flat out. They he were was, He was, was going to be the MVP. The way they were playing, the way the game was shaking out, they had plays that were going to – be big trouble for Cincinnati with OBJ. It is. It's a shame. Scored the first touchdown of the game, if I recall correctly. Yeah. There's a chance that I don't, but he did have a touchdown of the game. All right. You're up first. Round one. Teams that should sign Odell Beckham or that he should be trying to sign with. However we phrase it, where we think he should end up. I, I'm going to go with the one I've been saying. I said it going into break. I'm going to go with Buffalo as the number one option there. Uh, I'm one that goes, don't go to L.A., OBJ. Don't do it. I'm not going to, they're not on my list during this draft because I'm going to say it ain't going to be good. If they get in the playoffs, they're going to limp in as like a nine and eight football team. That's what it's going to be. Buffalo, yes. Hey, Gabe Davis, health has been an issue, right? And still, 
I still look at them and go, well, they could use one more legit weapon on that offense. There's nothing wrong, and there's nothing against the law to do that there, especially in the AFC where we know there's going to be some firepower in the AFC playoffs, definitely. You know, I know you'd like McCaffrey there. Their running backs are pretty good. They're playing pretty good. I'm going to say the Buffalo Bills. I think he'll fit the system, and I think, you know, you add him with Gabe Davis and, and Diggs, you become the most explosive offense in football for sure. And, you know, the other element to this is by signing him, you keep him away from right. someone else that right. you may then have to deal with in the postseason. Yes. So I think there's, there's a reason for right. getting dibs because there's only one OBJ. I still say the Packers yeah. should have been the Packers last year. It should be the Packers this year, especially this year without Devontae Adams. They need someone who's going to attract other attention and open up that passing game. You've been saying it. It's dink and dunk. It's not sustainable. It's why they're losing games. They're in too many close games, and the games aren't going their way. They need to be able to break games open like they used to. Yeah. They need OBJ. I, I don't disagree. They're probably the team that needs him more than anybody. You know, And one, just to give Rodgers some confidence and some guys that can – stretch the field a little bit, you know, and not always be like, hey, dink and dunk, dink and dunk. Oh, wait, they're all over our dink and dunk. Now I'm just going to throw a go route and hopefully put it right on the money and we'll make it happen. That's kind of their extent of their explosive plays. There's no plays called to be explosive, Mike. That's what bothers me. And I think that's Rodgers and Lafleur together there. There's no natural aggressiveness within the rhythm of the offense. Um, well, I'll go, to, I'll go to Kansas City. I'm going to throw them in there. I am. You know, again, I think the other night, one thing that I did, I wanted to talk about yesterday, we didn't get to it, is I, the Raiders played a little bit more man-to-man than I've seen teams play against Kansas City. And it was the first time I went, mm, this is a night where Tyree Kill would have scared them out of some of those defenses, for sure. And they don't have that guy right now. They still seem to make McCole Hardman that guy. And I want to go, man, I think Valdez Scantling's faster than McCole Hardman is right now. You need to make him that guy. But they certainly can use him because we know they're going to throw the ball around 40 times a game always. How about them Cowboys? That's, <laughs> let me tell you, Dak comes back. You know, Cassidy Lamb is still kind of tentatively settling into that number one role. You add OBJ to that and the Cowboys are good this year. Oh, boy. That could be very interesting in Dallas if they can pick up OBJ. We'll do round three when we wrap up this Wednesday edition of PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, right after this. All right, one more round of the draft of the teams Odell should sign with. He gets to choose, and he needs to choose the right horse. He did it last year. Will he do it again this year? Chris, who do you have in round three? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little up in the air here. I mean, the Giants need him, but I would, if I was Odell's friend, I'd go, well, don't sign with the Giants. I'm not sure that offense can really get going and throw the ball the way you need it. I'm going to throw a different one out here. There is one team, of course, and I'll let you have them. I think you'll go there next. I'm going to go the Baltimore Ravens. I've seen enough to go, if I'm a receiver – I'm down to go play with Lamar in that offense. The way Lamar's throwing the football around the field and doing that and reading coverages and everything, you'll get the ball plenty, and I think you'll be the number one guy there for sure. I'm going to throw the Ravens in the mix. I didn't expect to, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to throw you a curveball because if the goal is to go get on the train that is most likely to win the race, and I know I'm mixing up all my metaphors here, I'm going to the San Francisco 49ers. Ooh. Despite my concerns about Jimmy Garoppolo as right. an accurate quarterback, 
Can you imagine Ooh. some of the things that Kyle could cook up with OBJ in what? that offense, Chris? What? Yes, that would be scary. And, would, and wouldn't Kyle love to stick it to Sean McVay by uh, plucking OBJ away from him? I don't think there's any doubt. There, that would be, And there's been major interest with the 49ers and Odell Beckham Jr. going back to his days of we might trade him from the Giants. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that would be out of the realm of possibilities. The 49ers are always looking to add a superstar to their football team. They just haven't been able to pull it off here the last few seasons. And they are moving toward being high-level contenders in the NFC. And, again, that's what Odo Beckham Jr. should be looking for. We'll be looking for you tomorrow morning, getting you ready for week six. Thanks for some of your time today. Have a great Wednesday. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.